Today is first day Hanukkah, November 29th, 2021. And I want to give an overlook of the Stadtner Rebbe's life, and then we'll go into great detail, which will take uh, many months. Um, I want to make one correction. It's a small correction, but yet it's a mistake. I understand how I made it, and I thank Herzl Ginsburg for calling it for my attention. Uh, I, I quoted from the Rebbetson in Madison Square Garden. He went back to the actual tapes that are online of her talk. And if you recall, I, I was looking down, reading a story, then I looked up and I looked down again. This man was waiting online, they were going to exterminate him. And he got water, washed his hands, didn't drink it, washed his hands. And uh, if I would have looked down at the text properly, uh, what he did was wash his hands and say Kaddish. What I said, and that's the recording, and what I said was he washed his hands and said Shema Yisrael. How did I make the mistake? Very simple, because on the same page there's another story in the book that she told a second earlier with, a person, with Shema Yisrael. So my eyes caught the Shema Yisrael, so I want to correct myself. I realize it's a minor correction, but nevertheless we have to be... Uh, as honest as we can. A more important letter, and I don't even know, again, I, I speak, I teach, and uh, I, people send me questions all over the world, so I, I'm not certain when I said what, but I spoke in class about the Eidot HaMizrach, and I mentioned that in, in addition to Ben-Gurion's drive to turn everyone into a new type of Jew, a Zionist Jew with no religion or very little religion whatsoever. Uh, the Eidot Mizrach also had an additional problem. They had to adjust to a more advanced Western culture. And whenever that happens, you lose Jews who don't realize their religion is going to thrive in any culture. And they make the mistake of thinking Oh, Ben-Gurion's right, religion's old-fashioned, now that we're becoming modernized. And uh, I have to tell you, I've seen this time and again. I don't want to mention names, it's not a cover for them. But like there's one lady, she was raised to be a seamstress. And she broadened and uh, became a college graduate and f fought for Haredi education. And then I see she's sitting with Arab women with all the leftists and... Uh, our whole political overtones are left. And that's part of the process. You think to be modern, to be like Rakafet, ah, that's old-fashioned. That's backward. That's the ghetto. That's a uh, aggressive Jew. Oh, you want to be modern university, be part of the new world, got to be leftist. All right. Uh, this is part of, you know, what we have to overcome, what we have to educate. But I have to say, I received a letter from a must-be-asphatic gentleman, and he's very angry at this theory. He says, was Baghdad in the 30s any less cosmopolitan than Vilna? Was Beirut less progressive than Ludz or Minsk or Budapest? And uh, I have to tell you that uh, he may be right, he may be wrong. Loma Leva, Loma Rid. I, I personally, and I represent people who think with Torah, Ben-Gurion had a lot of good points, but we cannot forgive him for what he and Golda Meir and that entire generation did to the Spadic world. And uh, no one suffers it 
as much as I do. I'll tell you very simply. I walk the streets of Yerushalayim on Shabbat and I see an Ashkenazi starting his car. All right. I say, never. where does he come from? Russia, Germany, who knows how from his parents were. I see Svadik teenagers driving on Shabbos. It breaks my heart. I think of their great-grandparents, the grandparents. Who was Mechal Shabbos in Jerba? Jerba was an island. Not one Jew was Mechal Shabbos. In Vilna already, there was Chilul Shabbos Befahesi after World War I. The Rub used to speak about it. World War I already decimated the total public sphere of Shabbat in Eastern Europe. And uh, we have a lot to be upset about, but 70, 80 years later, after Ben-Gurion and his ilk, uh, we have to be positive, we have to go further. And I encourage everyone to read the article I've written, uh, the essay I've written, that will come out on the Rebbe's 30th Yard site, there's Rat Hashem. All right, I also want to just mention that uh, Yosef Sasson should know who's speaking. Uh, I'm an Ashkenazi, I'm pure Eastern Europe, one grandfather from Vilna, a grandmother from Kovna, another grandmother, father from Minsk, a grandmother from Slutz, so I'm a pure Ashkenazi. But I'm proud to tell you, 12 of my grandsons, my grandchildren are married, seven of them are married to girls from the Eidat HaMazrach. I'm even prouder to tell you that they don't even realize there's any difference between them. They're all Israelis. In the Tzioni Dati world, there's a total 100% integration. And this is one of the great achievements of the religious Zionist world. We can be very proud. Okay, with that being said, I hope uh, my dear student, Joseph Sasson, I thank you for your kind words about my Shayurim. I hope uh, he understands me well. Okay, let me pick up where I left off. And again, I don't know, maybe it is, maybe it is totally untrue that this father matter would just, but I, ha I have to tell you, I spoke with some very big Mizrahi leaders years ago when I, you know, when I was a kid and had desires to, to rub shoulders with the big shots. And uh, I, I don't want to mention names, but this Sarim Memshelet Yisrael. And they all told me this. They said to me, uh, this is a problem that we will experience again with the Ethiopians. And to a certain degree, they were right. And uh, they took this position. They lived it. Maybe they're right, maybe they're wrong. But uh, it doesn't forgive Ben-Gurion, no matter which way you look at it. And our only revenge is, is that 99% of the Jews in Israel should be Toshem and Torah Mitzvah. And if you read some of the weekend papers already, there are surveys that show by 1930, uh, by 2030, a third of the country will be Haredim. You know, and they're writing it with fear and trepidation. And, and, and I say, Baruch Hashem, Ashreinu Shesachinu. Okay. Back, and again, I want to continue the brief segue to put the Satmurov into context. Rabbi Yoel Teitelbaum, born into this famous family, Teitelbaum, Halbishtam, all interrelated, all cousins, all intermarriage. Intermarriage uh, goes on and on, you'll see it in the Satmurov's family, where uh, first cousins marry. 
Our first cousins allowed to marry. There are many states in the United States where first cousins are not allowed to marry by law. It's considered incest. According to Allah, first cousins are allowed to marry. How healthy is it? Ultimately, not healthy at all. You have too many genes that are exactly the same. They cancel out. Uh, I guess, uh, Charlie, you can explain it better than I can. But I can let you know a little secret. If you look into the Ruzhina dynasty, uh, the Tweskies, for instance, where they went out of their way to intermarry to keep the yichas and the money in the family, they run a lot of illness. I remember a kid in the Bronx who was blind, a Twesky, and uh, I was told at a very young age this is what happens when first cousins constantly intermarry. But that's why the title bounds the the Habishtans, and it may also explain that uh, some parts of the family have trouble conceiving children. It's, uh, it, it's something that you can't say just happens by chance. And it may also be a result of this constant intermarrying. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Inter. Welcome. Oh, wow. I recognize who's here. Baruch Hashem. Inter or intra? What, what are you saying? Would it be intramarriage or... Whatever the word is, intramarriage, intermarriage, intra... Inter, we say intermarriage, so it can be inter-ethnic marriage, here it's inter-cousins marriage. Now, uh, I want to welcome a, a whole group just came in that uh, I see students from uh, Hollywood, Florida, and we're not happy that they're still in Hollywood, and we hope that this trip will open their eyes, and Vic, you will set them up in dental practice right here in the state of Israel. Okay. We're uh, doing a brief survey of the Satmarov's life, and uh, we were, so he was born into a family like this. He was a genius, a young protege, as we said last week. And uh, early parts of his life, uh, his father died young. His older brother inherited the position. The Satmarov married uh, a, a cousin, a distant cousin, not a first cousin, and. Uh, he becomes Rav uh, in a, a smaller city called Krula, if I'm pronouncing it right. I've heard it pronounced many different ways. Kroila, Kroili, Krula, and I'm sure someone listening will give me a more correct pronunciation. But he's always dabbling with Satmas, we will see, that community. And uh, he goes on to become Satma Rav, although in all these positions there was Machoikis, I'm going to deal with it in depth, why there was Machoikis. And uh, World War II is upon us. World War II, the Satmarov would have been exterminated. Lower Lenu, Hitler was very successful. He reached Hungary last, but he was very successful in Hungary. It's one of the higher percentages of wiping out the community. 44 was a terrible year, and... Uh, Ultimately, what saved the Satmarov was, of course, the Kastner transport. The story of Kastner becomes controversial until this very day. Uh, we will go into it in more depth. But suffice it to say that whatever the reasons were, Kastner selected Rabbi Teitelbaum, Rabbi Yol Teitelbaum, Satmarov, to be one of the approximately 1,600 people that he was allowed to put on this transport that ultimately wound up in Switzerland. 
And we'll go into more detail. I just want you to see it in context. Now, he arrives in Switzerland, and of course, by now he had a reputation, and he was, you know, his whole visage was that of a tzaddik yisod olam, and the community went out of its way to honor him, to help him, and uh, his plan is to go to Palestine. He reaches Italy, the uh, Aliyah Bet was very active, you have to understand what was going on, and uh, it's one of the greatest stories of what the nascent state of Israel, or the forerunner of the state of Israel, or the overture, Chesky, call it what you wish, they were sending Jews, had a whole operation going, children and elder people, and the Satmurov reaches Italy, in Italy, he sails for Palestine, arrives in Palestine in 46, and his goal was to remain here. But he arrived here, and I'll show you very fascinating sources, but to make a long story short, in my humble opinion, there was an established Haredi community here, using a modern word, the Eidah Haredit, and uh, he saw he wasn't going to change the world here. Uh, I'll show you more tangible when we go into more detail. And uh, about a year later, he sails for the United States. And uh, here, he arrives in America, second day Rosh Hashanah, the ship docks. And uh, in America already, he found his place. Meaning, I remember America before 45. It's a different America. America shifting gears. Who was there in America? Take my family as an example. Take Mark's family as an example. Eh, my parents were born in America. Mark, where were your parents born? Born in America. They were integrated. They, they were, whatever level of religion they had, they weren't seeking less, they weren't seeking more, they were happy, they were part of America, Roosevelt, President, the New Deal. I grew up with a big picture of Roosevelt hanging in, in the kitchen. My father worshipped the ground he walked on until later years, it became uh, well known how many millions of Jews America is responsible for their death together with Great Britain. And Satmarov, um, but by 45, the immigrants are pouring in. Charlie, when did your parents reach America? 38. 38. So Charlie is part of that generation of immigrants pouring in. After World War II, you had hundreds of thousands of more survivors, the DP camps, the pressure on the State Department. And as I've said to you many times as I've written, these immigrants were different than the previous generations. Previous generations, when, when read Harry Fischel's uh, biography, basically it's an autobiography, he dictated a lot of it to Herbert S. Goldstein, his son-in-law, Rabbi Goldstein. So ha Harry Fischel, it's classic. He arrives in America, his cousin meets him at the pier, and his cousin tells him, throw away your kippah, the kippah belongs in Europe. Uh, anecdotally, they claim that their 
thousands of pairs of tefillin and thousands of shekels if you can dig up out of the Atlantic Ocean as you approach Battery Park when they saw the Statue of Liberty they threw it overboard with the late 30s 40s my Rebbeim who came from Shanghai these were Jews not all but many who made up their mind we are not changing in America if you read, I've quoted this before years ago, George Quint, this class is ongoing, so for me it began in 78 and I hope it continues. I need another 20, 25 years to finish everything I have prepared to teach. But if you recall, George Kranzler's doctorate, Williamsburg, Columbia University, uh, George Kranzler interviews some of the people and they're fabulous interviews. And you interview a Jew from Hungary and he says, I'm determined to raise my kids here just the way I was raised in Hungary. Just the way I was raised in Satma. So when the Satmarov came and he goes to Williamsburg, which then was alive and kicking, it was taking over as what Borough Park is today, uh, he had a following. He had his place. Th nothing was established yet. He could decide what would be, how it would be, how, how he'll set up his base medrash, how he'll run everything. And he found himself in the United States, and I need not tell you, he never left the United States. He visited Palestine on occasion, but uh, America was his home. Now, his second wife, uh, I believe he arrived in America in 46, uh, but, but I'll give you the exact year when I go into detail I'll have everything in front of me I'll give you the exact year but let's see 46 yeah he arrived in 46 second day Rosh Hashanah from Switzerland he went to Palestine in 45 but I think his whole stay in Palestine was about 10 months and you'll understand when I do detail I have a terrific source that no one I uncovered something you'll, you'll see okay so he arrives in America, and, and here what's very crucial is his Rebetzin, Rebetzin Feger. He's already a, not a youngster when he arrives in America, and he undertakes all this building and reaching out, Satma, recharging it, uh, use whatever word you want, and she's a tremendous aid to him. Uh, what happens is as follows. All of you know he was famous for his anti-Zionism, anti-Israel. He basically, and I stress this again, and it has nothing to do with the religiosity of the state of Israel. We can be, like I spoke about uh, 20 minutes ago, 99% uh, Shemesh Shabbat here. It wouldn't make him any more of a Zionist. He felt that the whole creation of Israel was a sin, you're not allowed to have Jewish sovereignty before Mashiach, period. Nothing else can be said. And he became very extreme, an element followed him, demonstrations. And then came the Six-Day War. Six-Day War had an unbelievable impact. Uh, you're all sitting here as a result of the Six-Day War. Uh, read Washington, we were frightened stiff that Israel would be wiped off the map. As I write about in Washington, I was standing, I had never been to Israel before, there was no such thing as coming 
after high school when uh, coming in the middle of college in the 50s into the early 60s. And I uh, was standing at the bus stop waiting for the bus to take me to New York to pick up the A train to give my share at YU. And I'm standing at the bus stop. It had to be Monday morning of the war, and I was crying. And someone else was standing with me, an older man. He said, Rabbi, why are you crying? And I told him. He said, don't worry, I've been to Israel. They're powerful. They're going to win. And, you know, I listened, but I couldn't believe it. We were so frightened then. The miracle happened. That miracle hurt, affected everyone. There, there wasn't a Jew, including Satma, that wasn't affected by it. Uh, I can recall on the trains they were collecting for the United Jewish Appeal, and there was Satma Chassidim going up and down the A train collecting money. I remember my Gentile neighbors in Maplewood came into my house brought me checks, hundred, uh, check for a hundred dollars. That, that's, that was a big sum of money in 67. Today, a hundred dollars, you light your cigar with it if you, if you still smoke after yesterday's share. But a hundred dollars then, so Mark, there, there, so much money came in that there were no receipts. The, I don't know if you're aware of this, the Jewish agency apologized they didn't have the ability, didn't have the staff to send out receipts, but all money, you get a canceled check, that was accepted as a receipt. It, it was an unbelievable period. Now, the Satmurov saw what was happening, and in 68, he was the first one to publish a book about the Six-Day War. And we're going to go into that book in detail, Al HaGulah, it's called Al HaGulah, popular language, he was very clever. He caught, uh, it's a play on words, Allah Gulavi Murad's from Ruth, when they changed the shoe, the obligation to marry Ruth, Sadeket, uh, and Hamoaviyah. And Allah Gulavi Alatmurad, when you take it literally, it means the real redemption and the phony redemption. And what happened here was the phony redemption. And he wrote this volume, which I know by heart, and uh, right after he wrote the volume, he had a stroke. He never really... It's an amazing thing, because in the literature world, this can't happen. Literature world, if a Rosh Yeshiva can't give a Shia, he's no longer the Rosh Yeshiva. But in the Hasidic world, his wife and his gabai, mainly one gabai, Ashkenazi, that was his last name, they held the Rebbe up. Rebbe appeared in public, they issued statements in his name, and it's an amazing thing. Rebetzin Feger, here she's a Satma Rebetzin, she introduced mixed seating right up front, she sat right next to the Rebbe. You follow? She was his doctor, his aide, his nurse, she was 25 years younger, she was a youngster yet. And uh, when he died, when he died in um, 79, his nephew, he had no, as we said last week, he had no children, no children at all uh, that survived him. He had three daughters, one died very young, uh, the other two died later, and uh, no grandson, no one who could take over, so his brother's son who had been Rabin Sigit uh, took over and then there was a 
break in the dynasty, the first break. And uh, it was a very simple break that many Hasidim felt the nephew had been a stockbroker and a very wealthy individual. Uh, that a stockbroker becomes Rebbe. So they held on to Rebetzin Feger. And she really, to a certain degree, she was the Rebetzin and she has, she had tremendous skliot, I have to tell you, uh, one schut that we all benefit from, from Bikachoylem. The Satma Bikachoylem is legendary, she's the one who organized it. And I can tell you from friends of mine who benefited, uh, they didn't look at your kippah, didn't look what color, didn't look at what hat you were wearing. Anyone could stay for Shabbos near the major hospitals, certainly in the New York area, and Sotmer provided lodging and beds and sleeping and food, and this was all Rebbitz and Faker. So this briefly is the story of the Sotmer Rub's life. Now I want to backtrack and I want to deal with him in great depth. And I want to understand him. I want to do for the Satma what we were privileged to do for the Lubavitcher Rebbe and what we were privileged to do for Rabbi Yitzchak Kutna. Now, where do you get your information? Many doctorates have been written by the Satma Rebbe. I can tell you in America, there are doctorates in South Africa and in Israel, there are doctorates on the Satma Rebbe. But all these doctorates look at him very academically. Uh, if I can use Mamalushan, say cooking a month from the Vitans. Can anyone explain the ancient Chinese I just said? They look at the Rebbe from a distance. Now, you're not going to understand the Rebbe if you look at him from a critical distance. It's like uh, someone like myself suffers. Books have come out about the Rav. It's not the Rav at all. It's what they envision the Rav from the publications and they hear from this one and that one. Those of us who knew the Rav intimately, we knew the Rav a little better than all these academic publications. So I want to choose as my main text a volume written by a Satma Chassid. So Charlie will say a Satma Chassid uh, is prejudiced. Yeah, he is prejudiced. But he tried his best, he raised this in the introduction, to write a scholarly volume. Everything he quotes, he gives you sources. And uh, here, what I want to talk about now, he says, there are many tales about the Rebbe's youth and early recognition and recognition as a wunderkind. The few examples cited in this chapter are known for their accuracy. And uh, I, I understand what he's saying here. When you sit down, and I hope some of you have Hasidic blood in you. What, what does it mean, a fabrengen? You sit down, Chabadnikim come together, and they talk about the Rebbe, the Torah, life stories, and some of these life stories, you have to ask yourself, is it true, is it not true? All right, Do, can we believe everything we hear? 
I'll tell you, my whole attitude changed when I saw what my great-grandson pulled on me in my living room a few months ago. I can believe some of these stories. Remember the story I told you? Three-and-a-half-year-old kid is sitting in my living room, and he's reading in English and reading in Hebrew, and looking up at me with his angelic smile. Why, Reverend, said a great-grandfather, why are you so surprised? Uh, you know, it, his mother, by the way, is only uh, Moroccan descent. Uh, her grandfather was the chief Moroccan chief rabbi of Arkiva. She's getting a doctorate from Tel Aviv. His father, who's my grandson, is finishing up. He, you know, he did army in Hester and whatnot. Fought in the real, real battles. Wow, wow, wow. He was in a building that uh, collapsed in the war in 2014. And he came out of it unscathed. My other grandson was injured, but he came out of it unscathed. He's getting his bachelor's now, view in science. And here's this kid. Well, when I see a kid like this, why can't I believe all the stories they tell about Gedoli Israel? But uh, the, the author of the book, I'll give you the name of the book and the author, he's sensitive that a Litvak will say, ah, what are you telling me these stories? So he says these stories... Everyone knows they're true because they were repeated by eyewitnesses originally. Okay. The name of the book is The Satma Rebbe, The Life and Times of a Yol Teitelbaum, A Close Talmud's Personal Recollections, published in 2011, Rabbi Chaim Moshe Stauba, S-T-A-U-B-E-R. And the English is quite good. So uh, I don't know if he was born in America, born in Hungary, or the book was edited, but Stauber does a very nice job. Now, I want to quote a story or two on the Satmarov as a young kid. And I, I want to introduce a concept here, a very important concept, which helps you understand the Satmarov and takes you into a problem that uh, will exist universal, and in a universal fashion when you have a bright child like this. Who are we? What are we? And one of the, I've spoken about this in great depth, I grew up in the Musa movement. Baruch Hashem, what type of Musa? Mainly Slabotka, Gatla Tadam. What is Slabotka about? By the way, I just want to tell Mark, Mark and Mark, uh, I once gave a shear in BMT, 1971 or 70, in the original building, on Slabotka. The whole shear was in Yiddish. Could you imagine what type of students? These were all second generation. They were either children of survivors or children of immigrants. Everyone understood Yiddish perfectly. That I know Yiddish, that's a different question. How does it come to me? I'm a third generation in America, but I, that's the story I answer in Washington. So I grew up in Yiddish, Gadlatadam. What is Gadlatadam about? The greatness of man. That in Slabotka, they teach you you're a great individual. And if you're a great individual, you have to live up to it. Now, there can be a tremendous fault line here. Because you can walk out of Slabotka Yeshiva being a Balgaiva. I'm a great individual. I learn Torah. I daven properly. I dress beautifully. Slabotka was famous for this. This can be a big chisarin. 
I got my wings clipped very early in life. The yeshiva kicked me out. I was 23. Smichin, no kolol then. Either you know how to learn or you'll never know how to learn. And I went into the rabbinate. That first year, 61, 62, I model HaKadosh Baruch Hu that I survived. I have to tell you. But boy, were my wings clipped. I never, ever felt katlatadam again. And it reflects in many different ways. And those of you who've been my students for decades probably understand what I'm saying. And I laugh at people, Balgaiver, I, I, I can tell you stories, not for now, insist when you write, Rabbi Doctor, Rabbi Doctor, Chief Rabbi, General, Major General. Oh my gosh, be happy you have a beautiful name and use it, that's it. Okay, but you see, if people fawn over you, you're a little kid, you're a youngster, and people are fawning over you, praising you, uh, you can take that very seriously. And this is one of the problems of Gedoli Yisrael in the, particularly the Hasidic world, more than the Litvish world. The Litvish world, you have to shape up, you have to learn, you have to be machadish, you have to understand the Reb Chaim, you have to understand the Reb Shimon Shkop. Hasidic world, Oh, wow, this kid knows so much. He's angelic. And, and, wow, the yichus, the blood in him. And you see, you can become very self-centered and think you really know it all. And your words are divine. No one can argue with you. And this is a problem particularly in the Hasidic world. In the literature world, Yichas counts for very little. If you don't know how to learn, you take Tel's Yeshiva. Have you ever been to Cleveland? Tel's Yeshiva was once second only to YU, I would say, in its attraction to students all over the United States. What they had in Cleveland was a suburb, actually. They built a whole city there, stone money, greeting, American greeting cards. Wow. Today you go there. I was there a few years ago. There's a wall in the base medrash. Base medrash built for hundreds. It has 25, 30 uh, lackadaisical students today. Why? Because the family that owned it didn't produce heirs. It's, it's not Hasidish. If you know how to learn and give a good shear, you'll have students. If you don't know how to learn and you can't give a good shear, no one's going to come to you even though you have the most royal, wonderful blood in your veins. So, but with the Hasidic world, that's a little different. Now, I'll illustrate this very, very simply. A true story out of Israel. One of the most fascinating dynasties here, and we'll come to it either later today, next week, Bells. My wife is from a Bell's dynasty. Her uh, great-great-grandfather was the Shlich Tzibor from the, for the first Bell's Rebbe, for the Sashalom, Rabbi Shalom Rokach. Bell's, alive and kicking, Baruch Hashem, 200 years already. Got to give credit. Now, the Bell's Rebbe, how the dynasty continued is miraculous. You all know the Rebarela Bell's was saved from Hitler. We dealt with it in class uh, years ago. And uh, had, his whole family was wiped out by Hitler. 
All that was left was a younger brother. They came to Israel. Both of them lost their wives and all their children. Going on to, to 15, 16 children together. Wiped out by Hitler. So the younger brother remarried. And that lady was uh, a television lady. And she had two children. One of them, of course, was a boy, one a girl. The boy was born in 48, and he's the present Belzer Rebbe, a nephew to the previous. Now, the present Belzer Rebbe had a lot of problems. Uh, his wife, who was the Vishnu Rebbe's daughter, the previous Vishnu Rebbe, his wife couldn't conceive. He once went to America, they say, to visit the Satmarov, but everyone whispered it was to seek out medical advice there. Today, you wouldn't go there. Israel is the center of the world as far as re reproduction uh, advice. Uh, Pua, I don't have to elaborate. But then you went to America, and, he, and she finally conceived. And she, he, had, he has one son. His father has one son. Now, the son will succeed him. The son reached the age to get married. I want you to know that many girls were approached from big Hasidic Yichis, and uh, they refused to marry him. Why? It's not, not, not in our world that we go out on dates and uh, you, you propose and, uh, you, you know, we, 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 we've, we fall in love before we marry. The Hasidic world falls in love after they marry. It's a whole different concept, and I don't know whether that concept is any better or any worse. I think it's better than our concept, but that's my personal opinion. Zach, you know why they didn't want to marry him? I remember reading this in the newspapers. Charlie, we met. why? He'll be too self-centered, too pampered. Siddiq Rebbe's only son, you know, the, modernity has affected all of us today. And even in Bells and Satma, a woman doesn't want to be treated like a shmata. A woman is a woman, you have to, it's a whole different relationship today. We, we only marry one woman, the Torah originally, you can have four wives, Yaakov Avinu. Doesn't exist today because times have changed in our understanding and our social relationship and Torah allows for it in every civilization. So, Baruch Hashem, today already, one husband, one wife. And women didn't want to marry him. Finally, there was a Malamadim Bells with good Bells Yechis. His daughter agreed to marry him. Baruch Hashem, the marriage worked out. Uh, now, coming back to the Satmarab, with that being said, I just want you to understand how his personality develops because I got a lot of emails from all over the world after last week's Shia. How come you didn't mention the Machleik is here, the Machleik is there? If I'm going to tell you he was a cantankerous individual, you're not going to pay attention to understand who he was and why he was so attractive and so successful. He may have been a cantankerous individual, but that's, it's not that his personality was cantankerous. It's that when you're a Rebbe, and from the age of three and four and five, everyone, imagine I see my grandson, three and a half years old, 
I, if, if the worst thing I can do is make him think, wow, you're so smart, you're a genius, you're wonderful, you're good, you have the genes of your grandparents, etc., etc., it's the worst thing I can do. Because then that kid, he'll really believe it. All right, my grandson is not a Hasidic Rebbe's grandson, great-grandson, I should say. He's not a Hasidic Rebbe's great-grandson. He's all right, he has... He has me as a great-grandfather. He has another great-grandfather, a Moroccan chief rabbi of, of Arakiva. All right, Baruch Hashem. He has big yichas. His grandmother, by the way, was my student in Michalam in my, one of my earliest Israeli classes, going green, that this girl's granddaughter daughter would marry my grandson. And she's the principal of a high school, of a religious high school in, in, in Yerushalayim. Very capable people. Beautiful. But you're a kid, you're a punk, you got a big way to go, have derecherits, learn, do good, care about your people, care about your parents, care about your grandparents. Baruch Hashem. The Belzareva, the Satma Rav, they grow up already. So they were telling tales about them at a very young age. Now, let me tell you a few tales about the Satma Rav that Stauber claims are accurate. Okay, young, I'm on page 19. Young Yoelish was a wonder child, recognized for his wit, wisdom, and charm at a very young age. And that when he was five years old, his father, the Kedushat Yontav, the Sikhet asked him to sing Eshet Chayel. Now you got to remember, Shidim have a tish Friday night. Mark, you sing Eshet Chayel? Right, you're frumer than I am, because where I come from, Shalom Aleichem, Mekidish, you're good and hungry. You've seen the Mishnah Brewer on Friday night? It's later. No, no, then I get upset. I go to, I, I used to, now I'm more limited in what I can do, but you go to weddings, the boy and girl didn't even make one Shabbos together yet. They're going to have Sheva Brachis. I, I, I just was with my latest marriage in my family. It's Masada Kedushin. One week later, we have Sheva Brachis. We're in a hotel. The one week they're at these parents. One week another parent. She hasn't made a Shabbos yet. And at the wedding, he sings to Eishet Chayel. Idiot! At the end of 50 years of marriage, let's see if you sing it. If you sing it at the end of 50 years... Fine, I'll accept it. But at the end of two minutes, you were married. But most people do sing Eshet Chayil. And you don't have to follow my example or the Mishnah Brewer's example. We, we come from a different world. Believe me, my life is an Eshet Chayil to the third power. But we're older today, and I have to be Modela Kaddish Baruch Hu. She raised wonderful daughters, wonderful children. I have to be Modela Kaddish Baruch Hu. Without our daughters, we wouldn't, I wouldn't be sitting here. So uh, we give credit where credit is due. But Rabbi Yaili, a table, you know, a tish. And you have to remember, Hasidic lifestyle, you saw when Corona broke out. The Vishnu Tzarebbe, and I don't want to say it publicly, I don't know how great as IUQ is, but uh, the man said publicly, they saw, and you know, there was still other having tishin, and people are dying. And he said, if the Hasidim don't have this get-together centered about the Rebbe, he implied, it's right, if they die, they die, but better they die physically than spiritually. Oh boy, did that cause a storm in that 
because do you remember this? Uh, you know, I'm talking about Charlie. I, I, my my litvish soul suffered. All right, then he backed down because you're dying like flies. B'nai Brak was hit very, very, very hard, as you know. But their lifestyle, my lifestyle, why do I have to go to a Rebbe Friday night? And I'm home. For me, I have extra time. I open a safe. I have to learn. I have to learn. What can I do? Always have that pressure. My wife says, when are you going to relax? No, not in this world. Baruch Hashem. Baruch Hashem. The Rebbe, the Tish. So he's mechabed this little kid to sing Eshet Chayel. Decades later, Chassidim remembered that magical moment when little Yoelish stood at his father's side, his long golden blonde peyot framed by the stark blackness of his bekesha as he swayed with Rithmikali, if I'm pronouncing it right, that's what's written here, Rithmikali, back and forth, singing in sweet sincerity, perched atop a bench, his face radiant and pure. He looked and sounded like an angel. Now, what, how old was he here? Three, four years old. Imagine Chassidim talking about the Rebbe's son singing Eshet Chayil, sounding like an angel. So you see, you start to develop this feeling. Here's a kid. Who is he? What is he? All right, so he knows how to sing Eshet Chayil. But Chassidim have a different feeling. You have to understand that. Now, the next story he tells here I love, and I have to tell you this actually happened to me. Uh, I have a, a very dear friend, he needs a refuschling, I'll mention his name, Irvin Shapiro. Uh, very, I mean, what this man did during the, I can tell you stories of Tzedakah, that, what this man did. When he celebrated his 50th wedding anniversary, he arranged through his first girlfriend from Central Yeshiva High School. Even the first girl he really, you know, got to know. And they, she lives here and he lives in America. It's on his 50th wedding anniversary to Ruthie. And he arranged with Hana, who worked with Russian Jewry when they were pouring in, to select 50 Russian Khatan Vakalas and he would pay for the weddings. You follow? Uh, this is Erwin Shapiro, I just want, there's a little bit, I can tell you more stories, but you should only have a first lame, we're older and sad. So, Erwin um, has a home in Lido Beach, Park Avenue, Lido Beach, Israel, Baruch Hashem. So many times we would spend the Shabbos with him in Lido Beach. The rabbi was my classmate. His picture actually appears, I believe, in the one where I identify everyone from the class of 1960 in Rakafer Aaron Chelek And uh, when he spoke, he was the rabbi, but he was a social worker. I mean, he always had two professions working together, and it was a, a small shul, not a major shul, so the rabbi could have another profession too to support himself. And when he spoke, he would yell, you have no idea... And Irwin couldn't take it. He said, oh. So whenever the rabbi would get up to speak, I, I would be sitting next to Irwin, 
And Irvin would close his eyes, and I could see he was asleep. The rabbi would finish, pop, he's awake. I say, Irwin, you should know it's a disgrace what you're doing. If you would fall asleep in shul, mele, you're tired. So you sleep. I understand that. No one would criticize you. But you sleep. The rabbi opens his eye, it opens his mouth, your eyes close. The minute the rabbi closes his mouth, your eyes open. How do you do it? How do you know? What do you have, a built-in lie detector here? And oh, we would always, every time would be the same way. Maybe he put it on, you know, just to, to give me a, a, to, just to give me a charge or something. But, all right, this is exactly the story on Little Yoyosh. And he describes it in detail. Friday night, there was a tish, and his father is speaking. And, you know, the tish begins, uh, if Shabbos begins, let's say, at 7 o'clock, the tish won't begin till 9.30, till they daven, go home and come back, or 9 o'clock, and then they get started in Kiddush and singing mm-hmm. and mifabrengt. And, and before you know it, it's 11 o'clock and his father is speaking, and he's a little kid and he closes his eyes. His father stops speaking and he opens his eyes. And he's sitting next to his father, and one of the gaboyim, who has a sense of humor, says to the kid, it's one thing to fall asleep, but how do you know when to open your eyes when your father, just when he finishes, you open your eyes? He, like he's giving the kid a dig. And Yoyalish, the little kid, decided to teach him a lesson. He said, if you'll put a bottle of wine in front of me. I'll repeat my father's talk word by word. What does it mean put a bottle of wine? Evidently at the Satmatish, uh, Elliot, you made a killing this week. The stock market, today in licked and dread, the stock market went down. But let's say you made a little money, so you tell the Gabbai, Shteltzu, Raflesho, put a bottle in, then you pay him after Shabbos, you give him five shekel, whatever the bottle, or ten shekel, or whatever. You follow? That's what it means. Shteltsu afleshel. And the Gabbai brings a bottle, and everyone, oh, is a generous guy. So the Satma Rebbe, to be, this little kid says, put a bottle in front of me. And the guy, all right, the guy says to the Gabbai, shteltsu afleshel. You're not going to tell the future Satma Rebbe or the Satma Rebbe's, Sigurd Rebbe's son at the time. And the kid repeats word by word what his father said smiling when his father smiled, laughing when his father laughed, and crying when his father cried. Wow! And then the kid turns and says to this wise guy, put another bottle down, and I'll tell you word by word what my father said in this Pasha one year ago. Then his father, the Kedushat Yantaf, he was called, because it was safer. Then his father said, Gnug. You know, he didn't want the kid to show off too much. Enough. But you see, stories like this, when they circulate, this tells you, this kid, Yichis, a good mind, wit, 
a little bit of a sense of humor. Wow. But this kid to begin to think of himself, Bishvili Nivra Ha'olam. Mark, did you learn Slabotka Musa? Did you ever be out of Slabotka? I always say you have to take Slabotka and dig in 20% Nevadic. See, Nevadic was just the opposite. Shiflut Adam. And you need both. Uh, Zach, let me tell you, nowadays there's no Gottlut, no Shiflut. The Muslim movement is very weak today. It's a different world. You can't take a, a young man living in 2022 and tell them to go into a store selling vegetables and ask for aspirins. You follow? That puts Nevadic out of the ballpark. And if we're smart, we can't overdo the Gatlatardam. If you know what's going on at the Aguri Convention in America right now with the Shidduch crisis, you understand what I'm saying. We can't overdo the Gatlatardam. Another story that they swear is true one time, little Yoyalish is learning Chumash. He's growing up in Hungary. And he's learning about Eliezer, servant of Avraham, and the camels. And he asks his father, Tata, what is a camel? Never saw a camel. When's the last time you saw a camel? I don't know. I saw a camel last, I can't recall. My daughter told me she went to the zoo just the day her husband was in America lecturing. So she took off a day, went to the zoo. So she took a saw a camel. There used to be a big thing when it was relatively safe to go to, well, it was safe to go to Yeah, of course, the camel. Yeah, of course, you take a ride. And those camels I saw in 68, that's correct. So um, here's what he says. He returned home from Cheder and asked his father, what's a camel? The Kedushat Yontav got up and uh, went to the window, called Yoyalish, come over here. I will show you what a camel looks like. At exactly that moment, a gypsy was walking by with a herd of camels. A sight rarely seen in that region. Well, can you believe it? And he claims this stories, these stories are authentic. But you see, this is Chassidus, this is the father, this is the son. Camels, imagine you go to the window and you look out and there you see a camel right before your eyes. Today's story, a kid hears a very face about a Rolls Royce. And he says to the Tata, Tata, I hope kids, at least Torah kids, don't know exactly what a Rolls Royce is. It's not that important. Tata, this is a Rolls Royce. Goes to the window, and there's Aaron Rakefet drying by in a Rolls Royce. Okay. This is this young little Satma kid. Now, he quotes, this is, this is something we're going to tie it together, you'll see in a minute. Very fascinating. His Yiddish kind he got from his father. And uh, one Devar Torah he quoted from his father, 
characterizes a good deal of what happens to his thinking in later life. And it's based upon, this is, you can see this on page 22, in the footnote, based upon the Pasuk and Tehillim, uh, capital, it's Kufyutet, Pasuk 98, It's the long Tehillim with the, uh, you know, the Otiot. And may Oyevai Techachkameni Mitzvotecha. May Oyevai from my enemies, I have become wiser in your commandments. No, this kid asked a very simple question. Our enemies. What did we speak about before? Ben-Gurion and his whole crowd. From them, I'm going to become wiser in observing God's commandments? What does this passage say? From Meirav Michaeli, God, whenever she opens her mouth and gets sick, from how we're going to learn how to observe commandments? His father said, absolutely. And his father explains with him, to him that in life we have to make choices. And sometimes we don't know what is good and what is bad. How can we discern the truth? What our enemies say is bad, for us it's good. What they say is good, for us it's bad. That's the way his father explained the Pasuk. Well, can anyone tell me an absolute true story out of the Holocaust? You'll find it on YouTube, but in my forthcoming article, I actually have a written source from one of the greatest Gedolim that ever walked the streets of Montreal where he was rubbed for so many years after being saved from the Holocaust. Rav Hirschbrun heard the name. The man who knew all of Shas by heart, Shibat Chachmei Lublin, the pin test. My Talmud is his son-in-law. He saw his father-in-law did the pin test. They put a pin into the Gemara and he told you on every page in the Gemara where that pin landed, this was Rav Hirschberg. Oh, what individuals raised a beautiful family. By the way, his wife was Canadian born and she jumped at the chance to marry an immigrant who was a Gadol Batera. It was a beautiful, beautiful marriage. No. What am I talking about? Sempo Sugihara, Zechit Tzadik Levracha. Joanna, who am I referring to? The Japanese consul to Kovna, 1940. Willing to give a visa that you can go to Japan because you're on your way to some phony island in the Caribbean. Do you take that visa? Do you tell the Russians who then controlled Lithuania. We want to leave. We want to get out of the Soviet socialist paradise. We want to get out of here. Risk your life. What? You want to leave? To Siberia. Well, maybe they'll let you somehow. What do you do? 
and Rav Pinchas Hirschbrun, with a number of other Talmidim from Yeshiva Tachmei Lublin, went to see Rav Chaim Isa. And the greatest Lithuanian Gadol Hadar in the last days of his life was opposed. Shakonit Nefashat. And they sat down afterwards. He tells the whole story in a memoir that, they, that the Israeli Foundation published. I mentioned this to you, that the Israeli Foundation, they're Jews who survived the Holocaust, who did only good for the Jewish people. They're Jews who did only bad. Soros, uh, it, terrible. Israeli, not just billions of dollars invested in Israel's shopping malls and every shopping mall that he builds, you have to be, all the stores have to be Shemesh Shabbos and the eateries have to be kosher. And they have shoes too in every little mall. Wow, what, not just that. He sponsored publication of any memoir from the Holocaust. And I quote from a memoir that Rav Hirschbrun wrote in Yiddish, the Israeli Foundation paid for a magnificent translation into English and published it. And he says, they sat down afterwards and they started to think, what should we do? And they said, you know what, if the literature G'daylem say not to go, means we have to go. And they said, we have to do the opposite. And that's how their lives were saved. And by the way, on some place on YouTube you will find they're interviewing people that were saved by Sempuk Sugihara, and it's one of the people they interview as part of this crowd from Yeshiva Tachma in Lublin, and they asked, how come you went? He says, no, we heard that the Litvakim are opposed. We said, we Hasidim have to be in favor, and this is exactly what the Satmurav learned from his father. Very powerful, but when you make my addendum, it becomes even more powerful. Because this is halacha lemaisa, and the lives were saved. By the way, to be uh, accurate, uh, I just want to tell Mark and Joanna, um, you have to be aware that this saved the mere yeshiva. They didn't listen to Rabbi Moisa. And the whole yeshiva went and was saved down to the very last student that decided to go to Kobe. It's, there were a few who died of natural causes in, in, in Kobe afterwards, Shanghai, but in Shanghai they died. But uh, it, it's the miracle of the rebirth of Torah and this is how I'm sitting here. If Rebchanek Fishman had not been my Rebbe in eighth grade, I wouldn't be sitting here. So uh, we owe a great deal of thanks to Sempo Sugihara. Uh, another story which already shows a different aspect of uh, the Satmarov. And here I have to tell you I, uh, I don't know how they do it but I'm, I'm envious. Uh, you, you want to uh, close the uh, window very smart. Ah. Uh, Baruch Hashem, there's less noise there knocking down the mountain further over, but uh, we're in for a long haul. I have in my block on Berlin 18 
to get out to Aza on either side at the start of the block they're doing Tama 38 building tremendous cranes the street you know that it takes at times 20 minutes to get out of Rav Berlin God have mercy what we're going to suffer till they finish but Ein Malasat the problem is we bench my wife says we have to stop benching or find a different Nusach Boner Berachamav Yerushalayim Amen okay now, let me talk about Hasidic Rebbe. Baruch HaTodna, Melech Olam, Shekon Yebed Verao. Let me talk about a Hasidic Rebbe. Uh, I just finished the volume, second volume on the Pnei Menachem, the Gera Rebbe. And uh, there's something about being Hasidic Rebbe. Their Chesed, their Rachamim, their ability to help is indescribable. Where they get so much money to give away, people will come to you, you, you uh, I tell you, it's one of the faults of the websites, Yeshiva World News, time after time an appeal for this guy and that story and this woman. Bani Shalom, there's a bad, enough bad news in life that if I'm looking at a website for news, why do you hit my heart at every minute? But then let's ask another question. I wish I had the money. Imagine if I, for every appeal there, take out a thousand dollars, take out a thousand dollars, give a chassidic rebbe. You come to him crying. You read volume two about the Pnei Menachem about his gemilat chesed. I don't know where he had the money. People came to him they have to marry off a daughter, and they they're short money here, there, within minutes. $3,000, $5,000. And uh, this is part of being a rabbi. And here you see it with the Satma at a very young age. When he um, went to Cheda, uh, he brought food. His mother prepared food for him. Take it. If there was a kid there who didn't have food, whose parents couldn't afford to give him food, immediately he shared his lunch with these other kids. Now, that's a very important trait, the ability to share. It's one of the problems when you're an only child. I've, I've said, you know, I've seen this. An only child, you have to go out of the way to inculcate within them a feeling to share. Generally, in a Torah house where you have two, three, four, five children, willy-nilly, they develop an ability to share. So the story is told about the Satma Rav, that Sigit in the winter, I have to tell you, East Europe in the winter is very cold. I don't know if Hungary is as cold as uh, Poland, I don't know if Poland is as cold as Russia. I've seen Russia in the midst of winter, and believe me, it is not for human beings like us. In my case, grew up in New York. Wow, a Moscow winter, a Riga winter, and Siberia is infinitely worse. That's why anyone working in Siberia is paid uh, twice the wages. Am I right? Uh, you don't know if it's twice, but certainly paid a lot more. So uh, he, kid is going to Cheta, and uh, winter is brutally cold. The morning hours before sunrise, sunrise in the winter in Europe, I remember in Moscow it was 9 o'clock in the morning, not earlier. And uh, his mother 
had a beautiful fur-lined coat made for the young Yailish befitting the son of the Rebbe. And one Friday night after candle lighting, she went to visit a woman who had just given birth to a baby girl. The family was very poor. The Rebbetson was puzzled when she noticed that their, their eldest son, who was about Yoel's age, and his classmate in Cheda was wearing a winter coat identical to the one she bought for Yoel. She returned home, looked in the closet, and sure enough, the coat was not there. Yoel returned from shul, and his mother questioned him about the coat. Yoelish looked embarrassed. He knew that the coat was very expensive. I was hardly wearing it, he explained, on the verge of tears. It made me feel too hot. My friend Yankel has repeatedly been sick this winter. He really needed a coat, and his parents could not afford to buy one for him. So I gave him my coat. I knew that you would certainly understand. So I think you can see already his mother couldn't rebuke him, couldn't reprimand him. But this too, at a young age, and again, Stauber says these stories are verified, you see a Rebbe and the feeling developing in him. On one hand, he's unique. He's Yitzir Kapav Shel HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Gadlet HaDam and all that Slabatka Musa comes to the fore. And in addition, there's the Hasidic concept. An Einikl. You know what that means? An Einikl, an Einikl. Yeah, it's hard to translate. A grandson. No, we're all grandsons. An Einikl from a Rebbe. A Rebbe is an Einikl. It's an expression. A Rebbe is an Einikl. An Einikl, that. Arujana, Arujana and Enikel. Wow, the blood in his veins. This is like royalty. I, I dislike royalty. Uh, let me just tell you one story. Uh, let me digress and just bring it home. When we got involved with Russian juries act, so there was a girl I was teaching in Mahong Gold and from London, and her father was very active, and I got to know her parents quite intimately. I write about them in Washington, the Hirsch family. So, you talk about Eniklach. Her mother, her mother told me she saw the queen. She started to cry. The queen. England, London, the blood in her veins, who she descends from. Generations of royalty. People wait online to catch a glimpse of Charles, of Andrew. I don't understand it. Could you imagine crying because you saw Biden? Sure you're crying that you can have this guy president of the United States. You're crying because... Trump, you saw Trump. Salazar and Gesund, let him come to class and learn about Torah. 
and become a, a better individual. Baruch Hashem, be proud. He is proud. His daughter, his son-in-law, his grandchildren. But crying? But you see, this is royalty. Blood in your veins. Blue blood. Ah, the Rebbe. And, and as a kid already, he's developing these traits. Okay. Let me go one step further with his childhood. Bar Mitzvah. His Bar Mitzvah already, he's 13 years of age. He's been learning around the clock. He was not lazy. He was blessed with tremendous intelligence. And at the Bar Mitzvah, all the Hungarian Rabbanim piled in. And this kid got up and gave a two-hour pshetel going through Shas and Paiskim. There were write-ups. By now you have Torah newspapers in Europe. The, uh, we'll talk about the Maksike Hadat. We'll get to it. But that was one of the famous Torah newspapers. The Algameda Yiddish Zeitung of Hungary and this kid had conquered the world. Everyone was talking about him. A great individual is growing up in Siget. This is Yoyulish, Teitelbaum. Okay. Turn 17, and... Uh, People are granting him smicha on all sides. Many of the Talmidim of the Ketav Seifa, you're going back now to the Chatam Sofis family, they were honored to grant him smicha. Slacking a wife, and here, a Shidduch already. It's being made for him when he was young, when he was a kid. They wanted him to marry. The concept of a shidduch being made for a youngster uh, was part and parcel of the Hasidic world, particularly of the Hungarian world. What do I mean a shidduch was made at the age of seven? He was seven years of age when they agreed these two families, the Horowitz family and the Teitelbaum family, both Siddish Hungarian Rabbanim, that their children would marry. And here I have to tell you a true story. I grew up in the Bronx. Cretona Park was our hangout on Shabbos today. Cretona Park, you read daily, there's a shooting there, a murder there, but uh, when we grew up, it was a little bit better. Cretona Park touched upon the East Bronx. Uh, Vic will tell you the East Bronx was known as the one part of the Bronx where there were still some from Jews. 700,000 Jews in the Bronx, but it was the East Bronx that Moshe Bick was rubbed there. Cretona Park began in the East Bronx and carried over to the Tremont Avenue section 
of the Bronx, which was a little bit below the West Bronx, where the Jews later moved, and secondary of uh, the Bronx, I would say. Uh, so uh, I had a very dear friend, I think I told you about him, Chaim Noble, I hope he's well. He was a year younger than I am, but we were bosom buddies. He's my friend that I did the tour of the Torah world in the Bronx when we had two weeks off between terms because uh, we didn't have to take finals in Talmudical Academy. Remember I told you the story. So Chaim and I are walking in Cretona Park and he sees this, uh, we, how old were we at the time? We had to be in, I was in Yeshiva College, he already was in Mir Yeshiva and we saw this uh, pretty girl sitting there and we could see she was a religious girl dressed properly and he found out, this is a true, Char Charlie, an absolute true story and he found out that it's the Chenchevitz Rebbe's daughter one of the Rebbe's in the East Bronx, it was, a, actually he had moved to the West Bronx already, had a little shtibble, and uh, it was a cousin to the Satma, they were all title bands. So he had Divrei Torah, he prepared in the Sigyum Brachat. You can see his Divrei Torah in, in the Va'ar Achayim, his first volume of Chidushe Torah, the Var Chayim, you'll see this piece there. And uh, he reworked it, and sent it to the Rebbe and said he would be interested in meeting his daughter. Now, for a Litvish person, if I got a thing like this, you know, if I had a daughter, you'd send me different Torah. Hey, let me meet this guy. Hey, it's, uh, Joanna, go out with him. It's worthwhile. You know what happened? Never got an answer from the Rebbe. But in the Morgan Journal, the Shemesh Shabbos Daily Yiddish newspaper, there was a front-page article three days later that the Chenshkevitz Rebbe was engaged before she was born. Okay? And what does that mean, engaged before she was born? Very simple. My wife is pregnant, your wife is pregnant, and we're good friends, and I say to you, if you have a girl and I have a boy or I have a boy and you have a girl, let's make a shidduch now. Okay? I know stories like this of survivors learned in Mir together and they got out alive with miracles and said, if I have a boy, you have a... And it taka worked out. Aaron and Malkabina. Check out that story. The Yiddish film, the Dibbik, before they were pregnant, before they were pregnant the, the, even. The, 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 the Dibbuk. Kabbalah, Dibbuk, that's not in my world. But this, uh, now. So you're going to ask a story. How can it be? I mean, this goes against everything here. They're young people. What, what's your first name? Zach. Zach. Oh, we have two Zachs here? Wow, I found it. Two Zachs, two Marks. And what's your first name? Renee. Renee. Oh, Renee. Wow. I taught many Renees. Renee and Zach, I want to ask you a question. Will you re make a shidduch for you? Seven years old? See, it's, we're taught we have to find the girl, we have to fall in love. The Hasidic world, you don't have to go crazy looking for a girl or boy. 
A girl is a girl, a boy is a boy. Put them together. By the way, Rav Lewis used to be the sexual counselor for Gerich Siddim. I don't know if you're aware of it. He wrote a book on marriage. Check it out. Rabbi Mendel Lewis, they used to send. And he used to tell them, do what comes naturally. Because they have no background whatsoever. A boy, a girl. We live in a world. We knew, I knew more about sex before I was married, I think, than afterwards. All the, the, the movies, the garbage, the television. Today you can't look at it at all. But then it was a little bit better, a little bit better. But you read Shakespeare, Romeo, Juliet. Oh, boy. Love, love, love. And they go with a different sheet, though. This boy comes from a family like this. We know the family. We know the parents. We know the grandparents. We heard about the great-grandparents. What can be wrong? The boy has to be solid. This girl, oh, we know the family. We go back generations. Let's put our children together. Wow. And you know something? It generally works out. The Rav, the Rav, I quote the Rav now, I relive it. It's a whole say. If I would tell you all that I've been through in life, wow. It's a movie. I kept the guy out of jail for this type. It's uh, true. Every word I say is true. He, uh, what's the difference? I said to him, I'll keep you out of jail, but I want the tape of the Rav's lecture on sex and marriage. This was a private lecture he gave in the 70s. It was sponsored and it was not made public. Until today, it was not made public. I did something with it that will make it public in 50 years from now. So uh, the Rav is giving this lecture on sex and marriage. And the Rav says, I'll tell you how my, my grandmother got married. Gutta. She was playing with her dolls. She was 12 years old. Gutta. I think the last thing was Feinstein. They were Feinsteins. And they were... Her mother comes in and says, Gutta. By the way, the Rav's daughter is named after her. Tova. Tova is Gutta in Hebrew. So he says, Gutta, come in here. And she says, put your doll down. You're engaged, muscle tough. That's how my grandmother found out she was engaged. And she said she married, it was Rebellia Prujana, Rebellia Feinstein, I think they were both Feinsteins, so you can correct me if I'm wrong. And it was the most magnificent marriage you could imagine, more than 60 years of dedication and devotion to each other. So don't laugh it off. There's a lot to be said for the concept of the shidduch and the Hasidic world. It's not something to laugh at. They talk and made a shidduch when the children were young. Let them grow up. We'll set the date for the marriage later. But these two families are going to join together again. And this is how Chaim Noble got his face smacked when uh, he sent the Divrei Torah and I was a Litvish wise guy I hate to tell you what I whispered to him I'll tell you Charlie in a whisper the Rebbe didn't understand your Divrei Torah see Litvish for him it was too Litvish for him and later he published it he has tremendous Haskama from here on he has two volumes of top quality 
yeshivisha litvisha divrei Torah. But that was yoyalish. Let me end off. I'll fill you in. There's a very good story here, but there's uh, no time now to do it properly. But let me, let me just end off that the marriage was rushed. He was 17 years of age, and his father was very ill. And while they had planned the marriage for months later, they saw that the father was not going to survive. So at the age of 17, they were Masada Kedushin, right the whole wedding, the ceremony took place right next to the room in which his father was in bed. His father stood up with Masada Kedushin and Baruch Hashem, the wedding worked out. I think it was 11 days later that his father passed on. But we'll pick up next week because there's a beautiful also Hasidic story here that I want to call your attention to. This marriage did not bear it. Ultimately, there were three daughters, but none bore any children. It's sad. In other words, it's it's interesting how in the Hasidic families you saw the Lubavitcher Rebbe. The um, previous, the sixth Rebbe had three daughters. The seventh Rebbe had no children whatsoever. And at the Rebbe's funeral, the only blood relative at the funeral was a niece that came in from London. It's, it's uh, sad how much survives, doesn't survive, and... Uh, all right, that's we'll put it that way. But it could be, it has to be investigated that it has to do with the constant marriage of cousins, particularly first cousins, where ultimately it causes blemishes, and it could be sterility is one of them. Uh, I call upon uh, the scientists listening to research it, and perhaps there's literature on it. Perhaps it's been researched already. So to reiterate, first of all, I want to thank everyone for coming. It's uh, a beautiful share, and I'm very happy that we have guests that got in before the airport was closed down. As I mentioned before, my sister-in-law made it on the last plane to be allowed in from the United States, American Airlines that landed at 5.30. And tomorrow, uh, even though it's Hanukkah, we're going on Keba Ovat because she's leaving last day Hanukkah. So I'm happy she's here. And uh, when you get older, you appreciate family a lot more than when you're younger. Take my word for it. Family is family. Satmarov came from a great family. And we zeroed in on him today as a youngster. And uh, we get to understand what it means to be a Hasidic yingle, Hasidic child, an anical. It's very important to understand that. Because just to say he was a Balmach Loikis and he was cantankerous and every rabbinate he was involved with, involved Mach Loikis, all that is true. But if you're just going to approach him from that point of view, 
you can't appreciate his greatness, you can't appreciate the depth of his thinking, his learning. And uh, we want to understand him and his viewpoint. And remember, Aaron Rakefet, I don't know how many chassidim rabbi, rabbi Dr. Rakefet has. I don't even know if you need ten fingers to count them. Satmarov, tens and tens of thousands. So we, I want to understand them legitimately. That I'm not a Satma Chassid and that I will negate his thinking in one simple Rambam, that's a different story. But we're here to understand Satma. Let's understand them properly. Now these stories about Rabbi Yoilish, the, the youngster, Stauber swears they're true. He says, I've left out the stories that perhaps we can't authenticate. But these stories, the camel story, the cult story, the Yeshet Chayel story, the sleeping story with uh, his father speaking the bottles of Yash, of, 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 I should say wine rather, fascinating. And this is Rabbi Eilish, 17 years of age, already has smicha and already engaged and because of his father's, father's illness, already married. And we'll pick up exactly where we left off, Be'ezrat Hashem, but not next week. Next week, Sunday, Monday, the kolel, the kolel is off. And Be'ezrat Hashem, the week afterwards, hopefully the doors of Israel will be open again. We'll pick up Does anyone have any questions? Okay, I'm ending off the class now. There's a class in front of me. Until we meet again in health and happiness, Afrelech and Chanukah, Chagorim Sameach, Dasvidanya. Mark, open it up to the world. Let's see if there are any comments. Yomo has disappeared. Uh, Yomo is like a camel. At least he's here at the moment you need him, but... Uh, He's gone. Uh, Zach, where are you at KBY? Sullivan. But where are oh, you? 11th grade. You're a youngster yet. But I was in 11th grade. I have to tell you, I was learning very seriously already. I was in Rav Weiss, Rav Yosef Weiss's shear. Okay. Rabbi Yosef Weiss. Well, what? Rabbi Yosef Weiss gave a gemarsh here, or just your dad? Well, wait, wait, what are you saying? Uh, go ahead, Mark. Rabbi Weiss gave a gemarsh here too. I'll, so I'll tell you the story. Rabbi Yosef Weiss was a fabulous Rabbi Gemara, and then they revive. What I'm telling you, I tell you sadly, and I learned from it. I learned from it. If you know what I'm doing. I've learned from it, and that's why I don't have any Kolel students. It's just a handful that I have to bribe to come to class. And I'll tell you why. Rav Weiss was a Rebbe. Gemara is good. Then they changed the Smicha program. The Rav was involved. If you look open the book about the Rav's letters uh, that Helfgott, that Natty Helfgott put out, you'll find letters about changing the program and what to do. So the Rav was supposed to teach Yoridea. So the Rav would be every other year and in between he'd teach something else uh, in, in Halacha. 
And then he got bored torture a day or once to my class, maybe taught her a second time. So we asked Rav Weiss to take over the Oredea Shia. And Rav Weiss, in his great loyalty to the Soloveitchik family, took over the Oredea Shia. And I always felt that it didn't do Rav Weiss well, that students never appreciated him because he was just limited to Oredea. He was repeating it. He would have been better off maybe alternating with the Rav, but continuing every other Shia as a regular Rebbe. How did this affect my life? So I followed the Rub's advice on two levels. One level, never to teach anything you know. And the second level, don't repeat yourself. To teach the same thing every year like we had college classes, let's take Professor Regis. All you needed was a notebook from the student that had him a year or two before and you had every word he was going to teach. You know what goes on in my class? I uh, have never repeated a shear since 1978 in the Kolel. The downside is that today in the cold, they look at me as a relic. Who needs all this knowledge? Who's interested in this? Who's interested in that? Who needs Kolel Torah Kula? Uh, who needs Torah history? We need the basics. Gemara, Yeridea, Vachulu. And I go, Zach, with the viewpoint, you have a chance to catch something in Gris that you won't get anywhere else. And it can affect your whole life of learning, as I can show you students around the world. So here's Zach. Who's Did he talking to Torah with? with? Who's, who, yeah, one second. Zach, who's he talking to Torah with? With the Heschel Shechta. Wow. Look at that. That's an iconic picture, that picture. This is a young man sitting, well, they don't see it, it doesn't show up properly. This is a young man sitting here where he's talking and learning with Rav Keshul Shechta. Wow, wow, wow. Okay, what did you want to say, Mark? We've got to let them have their say, Vic, yeah? Mark, did you have anything else to say? Did you, was someone giving a chul and shir at that time? Who, who giving a chul and shir? Was someone giving a chulin shear? As I recall, David Lipschitz occasionally gave a chulin shear, but there never really was a chulin shear in the yeshiva. I have to tell you, I learned Yeridea only knowing chulin sporadically. I never learned chulin until I started doing Shas al Haseda, and now I've gone through chulin twice. I'm going to soon, I guess, reach it a third time. And But for the Yeridea shear, I knew Chulin from Yoridea, if you follow me. Whatever I needed, I used to work backwards. I remember the summer before, before I learned Yoridea, I learned Chulin very thoroughly. Not entirely, but all the sigils that I would later deal with in Yoridea. But that, that's a, that was the yeshiva. Is there a shi in Chulin today? Can anyone answer me in, in the yeshiva? Does anyone know? Years ago, we learned Who did you learn Chulin with? Rabbi, Rabbi Wida, but he teaches Chulin every year. Just happened that year. That was the yeshiva. The yeshiva did Chulin. Oh, the yeshiva did Chulin. So it's not a regular Chulin. It's a part of Shas. Okay. In, in a Hasidic yeshiva, you learn Chulin and you learn Shabbos. You learn Halacha Lamaisa, and the, and in a Hasidic yeshiva, they're not exactly fans of Rapaim or Shimon Shkup. You understand that? A totally different approach. But that lives on until today. These Svartic yeshivas 
have been a little influenced by the Litvish world. It's interesting that they have shifted to a little bit more Iyun and a literature approach in addition to the classic Hasidic approach of learning al Haseda, learning how to paskin, etc., etc. Okay, anyone else have a comment? All right, it's wonderful seeing everybody on screen and I want to thank you all for honoring me with your presence and wish everyone a Chagurim Sameach Afrelech in Hanukkah and just remember that next week it's not that the Zoom is broken, there are no classes in the Kolel. We'll pick up again two weeks from now. Until we meet again in health and happiness, Das Vidanya.